Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are, however you are listening, we appreciate you. This is Practical Education with Dax Clover and Brandon Romans, episode two, July 20th. Good to be back, Mr. Romans. How about it? It is great to be back with everyone this morning. So, Dax, I guess I know you're ready to get going this morning. We have a special guest in studio with us. So if you'd like to introduce our special guest and we'll get the ball rolling here. Absolutely. So last week and last week's episode, we talked about teaching during the pandemic. And Mr. Romans was able to give us a uh, an insight of, of the procedures and policy and the changes. And we even talked about some of the things that um, that we kept because of the pandemic and education and, and classroom procedures and some of the things that we absolutely uh, did not keep, and so we talked about those. Thought we had a good episode, and uh, we got a, we got a few listens on episode one, the pilot. So that's good, and looking to build this thing. So today we're going to discuss state testing and the pressure that falls upon the teacher that state test. And the cool thing about today's episode is, of course, we do have a special guest, Mr. Jared Robinson, um, a former state tested teacher and a very successful one, according to the data. That's not according to, to my. Uh, personal opinion of him, but that is according to the data. So, and also, uh, Brandon, you are a state tested teacher as well. That's right. So we're we've got an insight of two state tested teachers today, and the impact that it has on. We're, we're uh, particularly going to discuss the impact on teachers today, but then we might even get a little bit into the impact on students. So, um, uh, Jared, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and kind of give us a little background on your state tested and the areas that you were in and let all the listeners know uh, kind of your area of expertise on that. All right. Good morning, guys. Appreciate you having me on this morning. Uh, this was an exciting opportunity that I had to jump on when I was offered the opportunity to come speak to you guys. Uh, so for those of you out there that are listening, and uh, I, I don't uh, necessarily know you, you don't know me. So I'm Jared Robinson. I am currently the assistant principal and athletic director at Tishomingo County High School. But in a previous life, I was a head baseball coach, before that an assistant baseball coach, and a social studies teacher. And for the vast majority of my career across multiple campuses and multiple school districts, I was a state-tested teacher for the class of U.S. History 1877 to the present. Uh, initially, that was something that I volunteered to do and, um, and found success. Uh, if I'm being completely transparent, full disclosure, uh, I volunteered initially to teach U.S. history uh, over a decade ago uh, at a school I was teaching at because I feared that when I showed back up at school in the fall, I would have been assigned that with no one having told me that. So I volunteered in advance so I could prep for it. And uh, I liked the pressure of the test. It, it made my class matter where maybe students in the past had been through social studies courses and they may have had an old coach and they just did worksheets and, and textbook assignments and that sort of thing. And it, it didn't feel like it really mattered. I wanted social studies to matter. I was very passionate about that. So that kind of gets me uh, or gets you guys caught up to speed on a little bit about my social studies background. But I did uh, teach U.S. history across three different schools in two different districts and, uh, and did a little tutoring and remediation also. So I, I've, I've got a little bit of a dynamic background as it comes to state testing in social studies only. So, Mr. Uh, Brandon, go ahead and give your uh, tell the, the audience about your, of course, this was your first year in the state tested, and, and I want to say very impressed with you, second year in state tested, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I was very impressed with you because you came to me as instructional leader of the school and said, I want it. And that's not something that we get a whole lot. You know, a lot of people you have to talk into, persuade. Um, and, and I remember you coming to me and saying, I, I want the English spot. And I said, well, I said, you know, that's <laughs> tested, right? And you said, oh, oh, yeah. And, you know, you said, yeah, I, I like a challenge. It makes me better, which is awesome. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about your state tested background real quick. Well, um, as you said, this is my, this is my second year uh, on state testing. My first year I taught U.S. history, uh, well, actually a half a semester state tested uh, for that, the, the spring uh, semester, but um, I did move to English. I wanted to move to English, and I, I'll echo what Jared said. I do feel like um, it does make your class matter, and I believe it makes me a better teacher because, uh, you know, we do have data to back up what we are doing in the classroom. It, it can be proven uh, to see what we're doing, if it is effective, and we have, if there are areas that are deficient, uh, we know those are areas that we need to address and correct. So it, I feel personally, I enjoy the challenge and uh, I feel that it does make me a better teacher in the long run and to make sure that we are teaching the kids what uh, we do need to be teaching them. So to give a little background, first of all, I need to give our disclaimer. Again, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, I'm, I'm a school principal, but um, even though we are all employed by the same school district, uh, that this show does not reflect the opinions of the school district. These opinions are our own, and we are not solicited in any way to say anything that we say. So um, I don't know that that's as good as my last legal disclaimer on last <laughs> week's show, but that is our legal disclaimer. And also, again, that this show is brought to you by Open Slot. We are open for um, a sponsor, so if you'd like to sponsor us, you can, uh, you can certainly give us a shout-out, and, and we will look at uh, promoting your business uh, you know nothing is as out of uh, range as, as you know on our sponsorship so uh, we do want to say that so to give you a little background on the state of Mississippi because every state is different the state of Mississippi has of course uh, state tested in grades three through eight and maybe even kindergarten if you if you count the the kindergarten screener um, but we're, we're going to particularly concentrate on the high school level today which has four exams um, a the science exam which is a biology one exam the math exam, which is a Algebra one exam, uh, the English exam, which is an English two exam, and the um, U.S. History exam, which we'll you know we'll kind of be diving into the the crevices, cracks and crevices of the U.S. History exam as well as the English two exam because that's you two uh, gentlemen's area of expertise. But uh, those four are requirements for graduation in the state of Mississippi. Now I know like our neighbor in state Alabama, it's ACT. Um, so we're, we're not here to, today to debate whether one is good or not. We're just going to discuss what we have here in the state of Mississippi and what you guys have experienced and some of the pressures and stresses and, and things that you do uh, for the state test in the state of Mississippi. So, uh, again, hopefully we've got, we're going to gain listeners that are outside of the state of Mississippi, mm -hmm. but you know, we're going to talk about what we know and that is our area of expertise. So, um, you know, high-stake testing in and of itself um, has changed the game in education. Of course, as a, as a student, I can remember kind of when it started really to ramp up. Um, and, of course, they were testing out different things. And, and so and, – and I can remember the teachers, um, you know, having a sort of a stress level, especially as it got closer to that state-tested time. And, and, of course, you know, teachers, they want to take care of their students. We know that. But we also know that, that you know, when you're when you're – test results are printed in the paper and the accountability is there that it also, you know, it, it amps that up a little bit. So, uh, Jared, if you don't care, uh, just kind of talk us through the, your overall view of, of the state test that you taught and maybe some of the, the stresses that you felt. Well, let me say this first. Um, you just mentioned something that, that I think really sits in my wheelhouse, so to speak. I'm, of course, I'm an old ball coach. Being a baseball coach formally, uh, that's a stat-driven, an analytic-driven um, area. So I was drawn to the accountability and numbers 
for that to be produced. I mean, you've got people that pay to come see your baseball games. Of course, they're not paying to come see your classroom environment, but at the same time, it's out there for public consumption at some point during the year. So I had no issue with that. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't know if either one of you know this, but uh, at the time I began teaching a state-tested class, my wife, who's also an educator, also taught a state-tested course. So we were able uh, to kind of piggyback ideas and all that. But to your question, uh, Mr. Glover, I, if I'm being completely honest with you, I didn't really feel the pressure of the test because it was something that I volunteered to do. So mm -hmm. it's almost like I stepped into it willingly um, without the fear of the pressure. Now, at the time I began teaching a state-tested subject, which would have been around 2008, 2009 or so, uh, I've, I've done this job long enough to see a couple of different curriculum revisions for the U.S. History State Test, once in 2011, once in, again in 2018. So I've seen the test change over the years, um, but I, I employed a strategy that I thought would work for the classroom, and at the same time, if you could perform well enough in the classroom to, to do well in my class, you would have no issue on the test. And that's kind of how the mindset that I took every day and would communicate that weekly, if not daily, to our students. And for years, I had a 100% pass rate. Now, that's not proficient or advanced. We're just talking about getting them across the finish line so that they could graduate. And I hung my hat on that across a couple of different school districts. Now, I eventually ran into some students who, who struggled in the testing environment, uh, which was bound to happen. But we got them across the finish line anyway. It just might have taken them two or three tries. But um, again, to your question, I, I didn't really necessarily feel the pressure like others do because I had stepped into it voluntarily. What about you know the last couple of weeks leading into the to the test? Did did I mean did it change at all? Now I know you're not a high stress guy. I personally know you, so you're not a high stress guy. But even those last couple of weeks when it's you know the countdown clock is on. For for me personally, we had a a what some might call a cram session near the state test. Uh, I didn't really care in in the window of testing when my test was given. It could have been given early in the calendar. It could have been given later in the calendar. But history's different because. Uh, while I've never taught Algebra 1, it, it feels like Algebra 1 is, is a set standard, right? It, you don't add things to Algebra 1. If you've got the Pythagorean theorem, and I'm not even sure that that's an Algebra 1 technique, but if you've got something like that, that's not changing. In social studies, you're adding to every single day. Now, what's happening tomorrow may not be as historically impactful as what happened 20 years ago, but at the same time, you're adding to that. So we, in social studies, the, the real big issue that I ran into was the scope of the course being too broad in order to accurately and adequately prepare your students for the state test. Because again, you're, you're tackling a subject that is essentially beginning in 1877, but they gotta have pre-knowledge. So you gotta tackle some of those things because the last time that they had a US history course that would have bled into the course that you take at the 11th grade level in the state of Mississippi, has been several years, so that retention of the information is probably gone. So you've got to revisit some of that stuff. And then you've got to go into some areas that are not terribly exciting. The Gilded Age is not the most exciting thing to discuss. World War II is, but you are at the mercy of, of time constraints. Mm -hmm. And being on the block, I think, probably made it a little worse because it, it shrunk your, your timetable down a little bit even more. But leading up to the test, uh, we would have we would take a couple of days and create a competitive environment and and try to make the situation where if if you perform well in our cram you're going to be fine on the test so you know there's so much talk out there of teachers and and rightfully so of if they're state tested they don't feel like they're able to um 
you know, teach the way they want to teach. They feel like they're teaching the test. Did you feel like you taught the test, or were you able to teach U.S. history the way that you wanted to teach it? Let, let me answer that question this way. I had somebody uh, several years ago, a man much wiser than me that had been in the profession for a little while, that said that uh, I spent a lot of time on, on World War II. I just did. Uh, it was something I found fascinating. And when I got into, uh, in, into education at the high school level as a student, that was something that my social studies teachers focused a lot of attention on. But now we're distancing ourselves from that quite a bit. You know, your World War II veterans are beginning to pass away. They're getting on up there in age, the ones that have been in experience of that. So I find your question to be a double-edged sword because this guy told me that if you are spending more than a couple of days on World War II, uh, you're not doing it right. So I responded, just knee-jerk response to this gentleman. I said, you know what, if I'm not spending adequate amounts of time in World War II, I'm not doing my job. Not that I'm doing them a disservice, but I'm not doing my job. If I don't, if I don't teach the skills to take the test, the knowledge base that they need to take the test, and also teach them the material that they need to be a quality citizen after the course is over, to have real knowledge of actual U.S. history, so that we don't go through some of the same mistakes that we made 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, then again, I'm not only not preparing them for the test, I'm not doing my job as an educator because that was essentially what I was first and foremost. Now, as far as teaching to the test, I would say that after a year or two um, before the test was revised, I kind of had an idea of where to focus a little more energy throughout the year versus some things that maybe I thought were more important when I first started out. So that, that was more of a learning curve than it was um, teaching to the test or not teaching to the test, if that makes sense. Mr. Romans, I'm going to flip the question on you now. Okay. Uh, as a state-tested teacher, do you feel like you can teach what you want to teach within the curriculum, or do you feel like you, you give your instruction more towards the actual test? Well, it's the same. It, it, is, it is a little different moving into the English test. Uh, me personally, I would love to teach literature all the time. Uh, but we do have to realize uh, that that is not what the entire test is going to be made up of. Uh, we do have a major focus on informational text, which is very, very important. So personally, me, yes, I have had to make some adjustments on what I think uh, I would personally like to teach versus what I need what I need to teach. But with that being said, it all works together. That's what I think is very interesting in the, with the English state test and why I enjoy teaching the English course so much is because I'm able to teach these skills that the students from day one, they, they, they're coming in, they're writing, uh, they're reading, and we are building on those skills. So I'm, I don't feel like I have, um, like you said, having to go back and teach the previous knowledge that they, they have been doing this every year when they get to me they've just not taken the history class you know three years prior and then coming in that is that's a big help so uh, no I don't feel like I'm having to teach I'm not teaching to the test uh, but you do have to make some adjustments as you go forward to make sure you are covering the all of the realm of information that's there that they need to learn how to uh, be able to analyze write about and make inferences from now, so you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here but I, I almost feel like those that argue that you teach to the test or not are coming from those who are or have not ever taught a state tested subject in the state of Mississippi now I, I understand the arguments out mm -hmm. there don't get me wrong but if you haven't actually been in the classroom doing a state tested subject regardless of the level 
Uh, and I can't speak to elementary and middle because I don't have the experience there. So it may be a little different, mm -hmm. that dynamic. But those that say that they, they fear your teaching to the test, I don't really think have taught a state-tested subject. And I could be wrong. Again, I may be on the island on that. But in my experience, once you get in there and you start teaching it, mm -hmm. if you're just doing your job and you're following the curriculum and you're adding and supplementing here and there where you feel is necessary, you're doing both your job and you're helping prepare them for the test. I agree with that, yes. Well, you, you know, you just you hear those type of things. You see this on social media anytime uh, state testing is brought up. So many people want to, want to do away with it. Um, I, you know, I have mixed feelings on it. Um, you know, I, I necessarily don't agree that the, the way we do it is, is perfect, and I would dare to, to, to argue that any state could probably say that. But accountability is a big thing. If you don't hold people accountable, then you, you find out that everybody is not, you know, everybody's not the workhorse that they, that they claim to be. And that's, you know, when you have, you know, as, as old coaches say, you know, the, the film doesn't lie. Well, the, the data doesn't lie in, in these type of things, the analytics. Um, you know, if you're, if you're trending in a, in a, you know, a proficiency level or, or something like that where, you, you know, you're, the, uh, different kids are missing the same skill, then, you know, that's a teacher problem. And, you know, I, I think so many people, it, it's just, it has a bad perception. And I really don't think, and of course, there, you know, again, we're not here to argue who makes the money test. I mean, testing companies make money or they wouldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're not naive enough to, to, to argue that point, but um, there does need to be some accountability, especially over things that are, are federally funded or state funded because people want to know how their, their tax dollars are being spent. So, um, I'm going to ask you this, Brandon. Uh, do you feel the stress throughout the year and, and particularly the, the weeks leading up to the, the test? Well, you know, at, at first I thought it would be a process where, you know, it, it would get very nerve-wracking. But no, actually I don't. And I believe that's very, very important uh, because I know the kids, they can pick up on a teacher if they're stressed, having a bad day. And I don't want to add, they, they have anxiety about the test. And I openly... From the beginning, make them aware of what we're doing, why we're doing this, and I keep my stress level down because I know every single day that I step in that classroom, I've got 94 minutes and a block to get this information out and for us to learn, and that's my focus. So there's really no time for stress because uh, we're learning and we're doing our job every single day, and the kids know that. They, they know that, that they can't slack. You, you, you have... Now, I will say time constraint, there's a lot of information to, to get in. That's, I, I don't want to sugarcoat and say, oh, well, you know, you can go in. No, there's a lot of information. We are pressed. We are pressed heavily for time, uh, for sure, in, in history more so, I believe, actually, than English. But um, there's, not a, there's not a level of stress because I don't want to create false stress for the students going into the course. I don't want this to be the thing in the corner of their mind that they're afraid of. They're going to be prepared. If I do my job every day and we work hard, they are prepared for that test when the, when the time comes. And I actually, um, I know you said you had a more of a cram session for some of the things which you have to in U.S. history. Me, on the other hand, those last couple of days before the test, we are usually, I have covered what we've needed to cover. That's kind of our back off time mm -hmm. for my students. And I, I've tried it both ways, and I think I've actually seen better results by kind of stepping back a day or so before the test to let it sink in and do more of just light review type uh, things more than uh, 
than some of the boot camp type activities. That and that's my pers- that's my personal opinion on that. So. Now, if if I can add to that, I've I've been places where boot camp situations have existed. Uh, one of my first experiences with that was what uh, an administrator called two a days, where the state tested subject would go through the courses a couple times a day. Mm-hmm. That was prior to my entering into a state tested mm-hmm. field. I, I can imagine that the way that that was crafted might create a stressful environment for the teachers because it, it kind of felt like it was doubling their work. My wife would have experienced that as a former English two mm-hmm. teacher. She would have done the two a days. Uh, I'm not sure that as an administrator that would be anything that I would endorse, but I'm also not saying that that's, that concept couldn't also work. But I, I think that there are certain certain ways that instructional leaders can create an environment where the state-tested teachers do feel stress. I don't think, for the vast majority of my experience, I don't think those administrators that I have worked for have done that, although mm-hmm. I know they're, they are out there. And certainly the, my most recent administrator as a, as a U.S. history state-tested teacher uh, certainly did not create that for me. So, again, we, we are talking, of course, we can only speak from the experiences that we have, so we're not speaking for every educator out there. There's, there's going to be... You know, if, if we sat, you know, 25 different teachers in here that are all state tested, you would have, you know, some that say, oh, it's absolutely stressful. I, I can't, you know, I can't handle it. it. It really bothers me. I I lose sleep at night. So so please remember, we're only speaking from our experiences. Um, Jared, I want to ask you, in your classroom, you know, how much emphasis did you use the word, this will be on the, the state test or this is a state tested class from day one? To your kids how much emphasis did you put on that with, with them of course we know that they know because it's I mean that's the environment they grow in but, but how much was that really talked about uh, consciously I, I can't really say I know within the first 90 seconds of the students entering into our course and and I, I can't say that I'm not speaking for, for mr. Rome is next to me uh, but in some courses you might be able to take the first day or the first couple of days of class and you can kind of ease your kids into whatever the subject matter is. In a state-tested subject, you got to hit the ground running. When the bell rings, first block, first period of the first day of school, you better be prepared to start delivering them content because you are so crunched for time, as, as Brandon said just a moment ago. Um, so within a, a breakdown of kind of the expectations in the, in the class syllabus and kind of what to expect, you already announce if they, and again, you said it, they already know that it's a state-tested mm-hmm. class. Um, but throughout the year, I would try to, especially as I got more seasoned at this, I would try to identify, hey, I've heard this is on the state test. Hey, I know this inside the blueprint carries a higher percentage. You need to make sure that you are well-versed, for example, in civil rights. When the test was revised around 2011 in the state of Mississippi, the civil rights became a heavier percentage of the test, where maybe before that we didn't spend quite as much time on it. So we understood, again, either subconsciously or consciously, that where – I could give them just a little bit extra incentive, a little bit extra push to understand that this is maybe a little more important than something else. Then I would try and do that, whether I actually said, hey, this is guaranteed guaranteed to be on the test, or I've got uh, inside track that this has been on the test in the past. I would try to do that along the way as best I could. Uh, but I also stayed away from it at times, too. So I, I tried to make that a conscious decision. Did you ever kind of read the kids' reactions, uh, you know, class by class of how much emphasis you put on it? Like, you know, maybe you had a class that as a group uh, maybe didn't take it as seriously as, as they – and maybe that's not the right way to phrase that, but you kind of understand where I'm going with that. Did, it, did, did your uh, approach to the emphasis, was it individualized over the classes? 
uh, n not so much individualized to the classes, but you could tell after a few days of being in the classroom, certainly after the first test or first couple of tests, uh, when you would try to you know, do the incremental assessments that you've got some folks that, that right now are struggling with the content. They, they may be fours and fives in algebra one, but right now they're just not grasping social studies. They're just not. Um, so when you say individualized, I wouldn't say I would individualize that per class, but maybe per student or smaller groups of students. Uh, because again, doing it as long as I did it, and there's a lot of people out there listening to this right now and, and those in this room as we speak, uh, you get to a point in your career where you do something long enough, you can just kind of tell. Right. There, there's a qualitative analysis that you can do right there on site. Okay. And, and you say that that person, they're going to struggle or they are struggling, that we're going to, have to do a little more for them. We may need to overemphasize some things like, hey, you, you need to pick it up right now. Usually by this point in, in the course, um, we're a little further along. We've got a, a better grasp of the understanding because in history, like I'm sure in the other courses, again, I never taught anything other than social studies, you're, you're building on the skills or in our case, you're building on the content. It, U.S. history was not so much skill-related as it was content-related. But we also tried to weave in some things in the course because later in my career there was the concordance tables where you didn't necessarily make the minimum passing score like you used to have to do, and that was the only option to pass the test. Explain what you're talking about. All the listeners out there may not know what, what that is. Okay, so I'm, I'm certainly not a concordance table expert, but there is a mathematical formula that if you don't make the minimum passing score, I, and I continue to refer to it as minimum passing score because I'll be completely honest with you here, in my career as a U.S. history teacher, I was more concerned with getting them past the test than I was whether or not they were proficient and advanced. Along the way, I had a number of proficient and advanced students, but that was never my concern. At one point, the passing score was, was 300. If you could score 300 or more, you were good. Later, we kind of identified if you get 35 questions or more right, you're in business, okay? So at some point between when I originally began teaching U.S. history and then I stepped away from U.S. history as I changed schools and jobs and, and, and then revisited U.S. history, there was the development of a concordance table where you could not make the, uh, the, the minimum passing score, whatever that number was. And by the time it was revised, that number had changed. Uh, but because you had performed well enough in your class, in the actual classroom, your overall class grade, you could still also marry those two things together and get by the test and not have to take it again. And I, I hope that makes sense to those out there listening. Well, it makes sense to me. So I'm, I'm going to ask this question. Did you ever feel the need to maybe help, uh, help the grades be better in order for some borderline kids? No, sir, because I felt like I had an – and you know me well enough to know I'm telling the 100% truth here. I, I felt as though – and still feel as though I have an ethical responsibility to provide them with the content. In some cases, it's spoon-fed to them. Assess their knowledge of the content, and then wherever they are at that point, that's where they are. I'm not going to fudge the scores. I never did that in my career, and not in U.S. history, but uh, if, if this young man is, is out there listening to this podcast, I did have a student that was just, uh, well, he was, he was not the greatest student citizen while I had him in class, and the the passing score in the course was a 65 to advance to be promoted from one social studies course to the next and he had a 64 and that's what he had and I was not going to change it and in a conversation with him later because he wound up taking my class again uh, having passed the test right but he just didn't pass the class because he was a highly intelligent young man he just didn't want to do what he needed to do in class didn't want to behave like to act out and talk 
one of the just the few students I ever had to send to the office in my career. Uh, he willfully and verbally acknowledged that I, I didn't deserve the extra point. And that's just wow. that's just kind of how I operated. And I was glad to see that he had an awareness of kind of where it was. Now, uh, was that typical from year in and year out for one semester and the next? No, it's not. But at the same time, I, the ethical responsibility that I had as a classroom teacher to to deliver the content, then to assess them and prepare them for the test, was only amplified by my my feeling of responsibility for what I was providing them after they left my class. So if they get fired from their job and they don't go out and get another one and they can't pay their power bill, the lights get turned off. If sure. you don't do well enough in class, you're not going to pass the class. If you don't score high enough in class and can't marry that on the, on the newly formed concordance tables, then you're not going to pass the test. So we, you talked about accountability. That was a practical accountability measure that I could ensure that our students were exposed to. Well, that's what we're, that's what we're after on the practical education show here, uh, practical education practices. And, and I, so, so Brandon, I'm gonna switch it to you now. Um, how much did you actually expose the, the students to, or how much do you, I guess, currently expose them to the, something that looks similar to the test? I mean, is that something you do on a weekly basis, monthly basis? Uh, daily, actually. I, I do feel that, um, for them to be comfortable with the way the questions are going to be asked that are on the test. I, I do feel that the students do get confused. The, the questions are tricky and daily uh, we work through a sample test question uh, basically to start letting them see and get familiar with the format because there again the student may know the content but they get sometimes they'll get hung up on the format and it's and that's part of our that's part of our skills building there to be able to you know look at what is the best answer because they're going to give you two on the English test that are are pretty good and I'll stop with them and the, you know if you get one answer that sounds pretty good and the other answer is pretty good well why do you choose this answer over this and and that gets that that gets the thinking uh, going in them so yes I do think it's important that they are exposed on a daily basis to a question and how it's formatted on the test just to get them in the habit of, of reading kind of reading between the lines so to speak so the test is electronic uh, electronically delivered mm -hmm. um, I believe it's on iPad mm -hmm. so do you are the, these test questions are they on the iPad or are we paper penciling in uh, your it's class? about it's about half uh, we do the test we do some questions on iPad some on on paper uh, this coming year everything I'm moving over completely to iPad for that because uh, there again some students I found do better pen and paper and others do better on the iPad but in this day in technology you know with the way the test is given it's on iPad so I think that's the that's the way I'm personally moving that's something I'm adjusting for this upcoming year well it only makes sense you know if you know if you in a real job you wouldn't you know use a hammer all week and then when it comes right. down to, to put, put something in you hand them a screwdriver so to use the same type of mechanism yep. That's, that's a great analogy. Um, uh, you know, to, to use the same type of technology is, is a great way to, to have those the students prepared. Because, again, as educators, our job is to give them every tool to be successful, whether it be, uh, whether it be college, career, mm -hmm. or, or life. And, and all that falls within the scope of these state tests. So it's, it's really good to get that insight. So as, as we wrap this up, Jared, what is one piece of advice, and nothing matter the subject area, one piece of advice 
whether it be ACT, you know, we're talking Mississippi to California. If you had one piece of advice to give to a, a teacher that's about to begin teaching a state test, what would it be? Don't stress out. If you feel as though you are receiving top-down pressure, um, don't worry about that. Just, just do your job. Do what you've been instructed to do. Do what you've been taught to do. Do what you've been trained to do. Do what you may feel as though is your calling to do. And just educate the people, the, the young men and women in your class to the best of your ability and uh, just kind of let the chips fall where they may on the state test. A year or two into it, you're, if you continue to do it, um, you're going to get to a point where you realize what works and what doesn't. And so just... Um, Maybe I should have let all of this off with be patient. If you are an incoming state-tested teacher or you've been doing it for a year or two, be patient. It, it's going to get better, and it's not always like it is maybe on the front end. Brandon, you can't piggyback off him. Nope. So what's your one piece of advice? Be, be flexible. Be prepared to what you think might work and be and work in the classroom on, on in your subject that's your state-tested. You know, be flexible to change. Uh Hey, I've got ideas that I thought were absolutely great. Guess what? They didn't work. Be honest enough with yourself to say, hey, I've got to be flexible. I've got to change things. And, and don't, don't just dig your heels in to want to be right because, there again, the data will show it in the end. So just be flexible. And there again, I will piggyback. Don't stress about it, but prepare. Be prepared. Prepare yourself. Well, you know, this is, you know, we want this show to go out and, and just – just normal people, you know. We're not, uh, you know, we're not at the an academy or where you can handpick your students. We're we're in a public school setting here. We have we have students from the highest to the high, and we have the lowest of the low. So we're just wanting to give out information, and you know, if we have one person from this from this podcast, I think that that's a win in what we're trying to achieve. We just, like I said, like the like the title of the show that we didn't name last uh, show <laughs> till after it was over, but we've named it now Practical Education. Uh, just those practical, those measures. And just to hear that, you know, somewhere in the United States, someone else is going through the same things that we're going through. Hey, and I would offer before we get off of here, Mr. Glover, that um, uh, a secondary, maybe supplementary piece of advice to state-tested teachers is don't focus so much on the data. And I say that because the the students in your class are still people and i don't know maybe you can and i'm just not aware of the skill but you can't it's hard to develop relationships with numbers so still focus a, a, a as much energy as you possibly can dedicate to it to building those relationships with your students in your classroom because i promise that will pay off in the end as much as any content you deliver to them and hey there's the off chance that it might actually help you in delivering the content, preparing them for the test. All right, I'm gonna put you on the hot seat, Jared. This this one this one's gonna route. This, you know, this one could get some mixed reviews from the people out there. You know, of course, you're you're pursuing higher degrees. You're you're on track to be a, a district leader one day. So, your district leader, you are the district leader. You're the superintendent. You're the director of schools. Whatever title that you want to put on sure. that, would you implement a find uh, a monetary supplement? to state-tested teachers? Yes. Yes, I would, absolutely. Uh, I would treat it similarly to uh, districts and how they allocate resources for their athletic or activities programs. I don't know what the correct number is. Certainly that would be based off, you know, wh what school district you're in and what state you're in and the resources that are available to you. 
but there there is some play at the district level financially, and I think you absolutely have to get off your pocketbook and uh, financially incentivize teachers, not just state-tested teachers. Uh, you're running into a problem in other subject areas that are not state-tested of having difficulty in just hiring those positions. And I wanted to, I thought I knew where you were going with that question, and I wanted to answer you immediately because that's how passionately I am about uh, teachers that are doing that job, um, I think need to be incentivized. Mr. Romans, do you have any more questions? You know, you are the co-host of this show as well, even though we get your insight on this. <laughs> uh, you are the co-host of this show, so what, what, what's, uh, well, I, any I, last burning questions uh, you have? Well, not really any questions, but I did, uh, when I began teaching here, I did get to have a classroom next to uh, Jared, and I did enjoy on my off period listening to his classes. So I do want to say I do think that actually even made me a better teacher. So well, you're, that you're, was those, a those uh, are kind words, Mr. Williams. I'm, I'm not <laughs> well, sure that's the truth. Entirely true. You know, that, no, this is actually words. the truth. It's actually the truth on this one. So, well, uh, you know, I've never I've never been a state tested teacher. Um, so that's why I wanted to bring you you two gentlemen in to talk about that. But I want to speak from the administrative standpoint for a minute. If, if you're an administrator out there listening, support those teachers. Support all your teachers, but, but really support those state-tested teachers because, I mean, even though as administrator your name is on the, the accountability model, your name is on the data, their name is on it too. And support them. Do what you can to help them. And, you know, don't put any added stress on them. They, they don't need it because so many, you know, uh, good teachers put stress on themselves. They don't need your added stress. They need your support. Um, now, on the flip side of that, if they're, you know, if they're not doing their job, you, you need to do your job and, and take care of that. But, but support those teachers. Check on them regularly and, and let them know that you appreciate them and that you're there for them. And, and be that instructional leader and do what you can to help them. So, um, Mr. Jared Robinson, do you have anything else? Uh, no, sir. If if you are an instructional leader listening to uh, this podcast today, just uh, I, I would echo Mr. Glover's sentiments and and support, especially if you're a, a an emerging or a novice instructional leader, uh, su support those teachers, all of them. Support your state tested teachers, and it doesn't have to be by going to your district level and arguing for a supplement, buy them lunch one day, um, offer to you know restrict the number of uh, duties that they have during the school year. They don't have to cover any Friday night football games or something like that. There are, there are a multitude of ways that you can support. And I can assure you, having been a state-tested teacher, having been married to a state-tested teacher, um, those things go a much longer way than you may realize. And some of those things you mentioned are hard to do. It's hard, you know, when you, when you have a lot of sports and activities. And, of course, this, is not, this was not really meant to be the administrator podcast, but sometimes it's hard to do those things. But, but do what you can because a little bit goes a long way. And uh, we definitely, where we're at, we need to ramp up our appreciation and support. You know, we, we feel like we have good uh, appreciation and support, but you can always be a little bit better. Absolutely. So, um, good job, guys. Enjoyed the, the podcast today. Thank you, Jared, for joining us. Absolutely. Give us your insight. And I guess if we ever come into an administrator or a, uh, an athletic director podcast i guess we can invite you back you know where to find me um so there's that so it's just uh some of the things that we were going to do on the upcoming episodes we won't talk about student mental health and the status of that since the pandemic because uh the data has showed us has shown us that has changed um parental involvement that's a good one mm -hmm. and i've got a good guest in mind if, if we can get her on the podcast about that uh because that's something big um that can that can make or break 
your school your school culture and and you know and your community so uh, those are a couple of things and 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 we'll continue hopefully again this is i think we've had two weeks off since the last one but we're going to try to put something out weekly so uh you know if you if you like the podcast let someone know about it maybe it'll help someone that you know send it to them we appreciate the the listens and the support and uh, of course uh you can email us uh email brandon romans he'll give you his email address if you have an idea for the show or something you'd like us to talk about we'll be glad to look into it and talk about it and uh, go ahead, Brandon, and give them that email address for you. All right, Dax, that email address to reach us here is practicaleducationpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's practicaleducationpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Like I said, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, or even ideas for upcoming episodes. We look forward to hearing from you. Thinking you might have to go create that. Uh, no, it it's already created. Let me double check. Hold on. <laughs> so he's going to check on, on the, that. Put me on the uh, spot here. That's okay. That's we will, okay. Uh, we'll definitely make sure before the next show that that's there. We want to hear from you. Um, if we're doing a good job, let us know. If we're doing a bad job, um, keep it to yourself. So <laughs> <laughs> no, let us know too. Uh, no, let us know let that us we want to we want to improve and grow this show and make it better. <laughs> so uh, and just give out again some some simple advice and maybe something we're doing can help you uh, along the way, Mr. Uh, Glover. Before we. Uh, right off into the sunset here can i put on my resume that i was the first official in-studio guest for practical educator on the podcast uh, absolutely you were the first you not that you weren't on the pilot episode but you were the first in-studio guest okay. so we do appreciate it. thank you uh brandon romans for running the behind the scenes for us and getting everything together as long as along with being my co-host i do i do want to thank you again publicly for that and i've enjoyed working with you uh, thank you jared robinson and as for dax clover jared robinson and brandon romans we will see you on episode three practical education